Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. episode 164. Yeah. Bienvenidos bitches. Buiti binafi. And thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight cis white dudes. What? No, ma'am. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. <laughs> that was a bad accent. Anyway, allegedly. <laughs> And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. She is invited to the cookout, though. (laughs) We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops Patreon. You can also support us by supporting our sponsors. Yeah. So before we get into it, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Daryl Linney Mack, the first Nevada convict to be executed based solely on DNA evidence. Ooh. Yeah, your favorite. Oh, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Mack (laughs) murdered at least two women in Reno, Nevada, one in 1988 and the other in 1994. Okay. Well, before we get into it, 
How you doing? I'm all right. And I did something crazy over the weekend. <laughs> crazy? Yeah. Did you rob another bank? No, but I spent <laughs> <What>? money. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't usually um, spend a lot of money. I buy food and stuff, but I don't buy a lot of things. Um, yeah, you're this... not extravagant. No, I'm not. Say. No, I drive. Very reasonable. <laughs> I drive a car that's almost 20 years old. And <laughs> No, <laughs> and, your yeah. car is 20 years old? Oh, I think wow. it's 18. 18 years old that's yeah. amazing Beth oh my god yeah you know what? something my mom always told my parents always told me white people take such good care of their cars <laughs> I, I and don't. you are an example <laughs> well I, I take care of the engine and stuff but the outside looks like shit <laughs> that doesn't matter it's yeah. still winning I don't uh, oh yeah god. I don't I don't care uh, I'm not somebody who cares about status symbols or anything <laughs> like that I I want my car to get me where I'm going and it does that's, so that's I'll all that matters. It it You're winning. You're <laughs> <Yeah>. winning. <laughs> so anyway, um, I I went to Costco over the uh-huh. weekend and yeah. I bought a Ninja Creamy. <laughs> I don't think I've heard of that. So, it's a, you I know, know, the Ninja is a blender thing, right? Yeah, the, the Ninja, they have all kinds of stuff. And I okay. I have a Ninja coffee maker, too. I, I just Whoa, love... okay. I love the Bougie Ninja. Much? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they're just really, really well made. And, and they're not a sponsor, by the way. Oh, no. Yeah. But I imagine it's one of those purchases, if you buy one, you don't have to buy one. You don't have to buy one. For 30 one. years. Yeah, yeah. So Because yeah. they're just really well made. And mm-hmm. uh, so... Um, I I bought this Ninja Creamy and it, it was like $90 off the retail price, which means that okay. it's already hella, hella expensive, right? Of course. Of course. <laughs> but it makes ice cream. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and wow. I can make my own healthy ice cream like Halo Top, which, as you know, is mad expensive. I've never heard of Halo Top. <laughs> you haven't? No. What oh, my this? God. It's healthy, healthy ice cream. Uh, You know, quote what? unquote, healthy ice cream. Oh, with with dairy? Yeah. with Well, some of them i think there's no dairy in some of them but oh. it's like uh low sugar low fat you know that kind of stuff oh. and uh, i had created recipes years ago that were similar but i had to use like an ice cream maker and i just got to where that is it's, so cumbersome it's too much we, too much work we did yeah. it once somebody got us an ice cream maker for christmas and i was like oh all oh, the stuff yeah it's, oh, it's very my God. cumbersome yeah it takes yeah. a lot of time and uh so I, I just it was like a impulse buy and i was like oh. you know it's costco so yeah you know, if you don't like 100% it, hundred percent guarantee. You if you don't like it, back. it yep. So even one percent like, unsatisfied. Yep. Yeah. So I, I picked it up, and uh, I love it. I love it. It makes oh ice cream. Oh my god! I wish I was still in Arizona. It makes it really fast. Oh, <laughs> and so it can be healthy some. ice cream. Yeah, I love it. Oh, so, nice. So I'm well, all happy I- now. <laughs> I can tell I can hear it in your voice and hip hop air horns for um happy, healthy, fire ass, tasty ice cream treats yeah. made right at home in the crib. That's, it's okay. like my favorite thing to eat is ice cream. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew that about you. That's amazing. Yep. I love that. Oh my god, it's the simple pleasures. Oh, it is. Oh my god. Yeah. That's beautiful. So. Um, well, I'm glad to hear it. I can tell in your voice that you are in a good place. Yes, and I'm, I am. I'm glad about it. I'm really glad about it. Um, I don't have anything to report. I was trying to, I mean, crazy stuff is happening all the time, yeah, but yeah. nothing um, 
I mean, we're we're literally in the upside down. And so yeah, we are. <laughs> I, know. Uh, I got a smile on my face. My friend Beth is on the other line. So everything is good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so let's get into some listener letters. Well, hello, angels. Mm. Thank you. Yes. Right. What in the world is in that bag, Beth? Well, we got a mediocre review from someone who complained that we talked too much at the beginning of oh. the show. <laughs> oh, yes, I did. Which, I saw that. You saw that one. Okay. Yeah. So, which, you know, if, if, if that is not your bag, if you don't like all the talking at the beginning of the show, keep in mind yeah. that we do put timestamps in the description so you can skip right to the part you want to hear. Um, yes. There's several timestamps for different sections. So yeah. if you don't want to yeah. hear us like talking right now. Check out the show notes and yeah. skip it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I always, to be, when people ask me, like, what I do on the side, I, t- I tell them about the podcast, and I'm like, but be forewarned, it is not for everybody. No, so it is not. You could yeah. hate it. Um, and that's okay. Yeah, we I have, love it. I have friends who, who don't yeah. listen to it at all. And they're like, yeah. eh. Um, I have other friends who love it. So, who yeah. Knows? Yeah. It's not for everybody. And that's okay. Yep. Yeah. Appreciate the feedback. Yeah, yeah, we do. And uh, Jenny on Kofi said, mm-hmm. I love you both so much. I'm a special education professor. And I appreciate mm. that not only do you tackle racism, ageism, classism, and historically minoritized communities and cultures, but you also call out ableism when you see it and hear it. Fight that good fight, my friends. Aww. So thank you, Jenny. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank yeah. you so much, Jenny. Hip hop air horns. <laughs> And uh, Jenny is getting a double dose because she uh, gave us a handsome donation on the yeah, Kofi app. Yeah, she did. Um, so this tune is for you. Jenny donated to me right there on coffee, and now Beth is delighted. <laughs> Jenny, whoa, Jenny, yeah, oh, 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 Jenny, Jenny, yeah, yeah. Wow. And thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and get into the story when we come back. All right. <laughs> My name is Bill Huffman. And I am a former Cleveland news producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and Slow Burn Media production. Subscribe today, wherever you get your favorite shows. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you, Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? 
Download American Vigilante now. We're back. Who's our subject today, Beth? Remind us. Our subject today is Daryl Linney Mack, the first Nevada convict to be executed based solely on DNA evidence. Hell of an accomplishment. Yeah. I love it when DNA comes through. So let's mm-hmm. get into some stats, shall we? So first off, victims, um, we'd want to say rest in power to the queens um, and uh, love and prayers up to the loved ones and community left in the wake of these crimes. Yeah. Um, his victims were 55-year-old Betty Jane May and 35-year-old Kim Parks. Uh, a couple stats about Mac. Uh, he was the 15th murderer executed in the United States in 2006. Uh, the 1019th murderer executed in the U.S. since 1976. Boy, we execute a lot of people. I know. I was going to say that is a massive who? number. <laughs> yeah. Uh, first murderer executed in Nevada in 2006. The 12th murderer executed in Nevada since 1976. The first black convict to be executed by the state of Nevada since capital punishment was reinstated in 1976. And the first First Nevada convict to be executed based solely on DNA evidence. So now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, the setting is Reno, Nevada. Reno oh, is, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Reno is located along the Truckee River at the foot of the Sierra Nevada mountain range along the Nevada-California border. The people that inhabited the area prior to the European invasion were the Paiute, the Washoe, and the Shoshone peoples. Yeah, Reno is is in Washoe County. Yes. Uh, the Truckee River starts high up in the Sierra Nevada mountains and flows from Lake Tahoe to the east, ending up in Pyramid Lake. The Truckee River Basin encompasses an area of approximately 3,060 square miles in California and Nevada for thousands of years. I'll repeat. <clears throat> for thousands of years, <laughs> Native Americans migrated through the Truckee Basin to hunt fish and collect medicinal plants and gather together. Mining their beeswax. Yeah, mining their own beeswax. <laughs> but by the late 1840s and 1850s, thousands of pioneers and prospectors were coming through the Truckee River Basin on their way to California. And Reno began as the preferred crossing point of the Truckee River. With the discovery of the Comstock Lode in the nearby Virginia City foothills in 1859, which was a silver discovery and mine. So there was the gold rush and a silver rush? Yeah, remember we covered it in uh, the episode on uh, what's-his-face? Uh, the, the, what's the indigenous guy who yeah. they blamed for every bad yes, thing that yes, happened in, uh, in Nevada. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the, the river crossing became increasingly important. Reno was officially established in 1868, the same year that the Transcontinental Railroad, which paralleled the Truckee River, reached the town. The University of Nevada was founded in Reno in 1874. The university became an integral component of the town's identity and contributed to Reno's nickname, which is the biggest little city in the world, due to its reputation as a quote-unquote cultural center. I have a couple of notes. Anyway, <laughs> however, Reno has also been referred to as the Mississippi of the West due to endemic prejudice and racism found there. And 
Yeah. Who boy. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> a lot to unpack there. <laughs> yeah. In 1903, Reno became an incorporated city. The Lincoln Highway, the first transcontinental road for automobiles in the United States, was formally dedicated on October 31st, 1913. Happy Halloween. <laughs> oh, look at that. It's, welcome to hell. Yeah. Welcome I mean, to Reno. Hell. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it stretched over three. 3,000 miles between New York City and San Francisco, and it passed right through the heart of downtown Reno. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, Motor lodges sprang up on either side of Virginia Street to support booming post-war auto tourism. Reno also became a quickie divorce destination, although it should be mentioned that interracial marriage was illegal there until 1959. So marriage, no. Divorce, yes. Yes. Ha <laughs> <laughs> oh, Traditional family hmm. values. I mean, this country is so baffling sometimes. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> In 1931, Nevada legalized gambling, and Virginia Street developed into a commercial center of hotels slash casinos and retail stores. Tourism and the gaming and entertainment industries then formed the backbone of Reno's economy, although only a few places catered to black customers, and they were not allowed in the popular white venues. Interesting. So you're, you mean to tell me that segregation and racism was not only in the South? What? What? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, you heard it here, folks. Uh, so housing in Reno through most of the 20th century was strictly segregated, with most communities developing specific enclaves for black families. To be black in Reno meant to live apart from the other Reno. Black folks had a Reno of their own, located several blocks west of Reno's downtown around the original Bethel AME Church. Like elsewhere in the country, employers typically limited what jobs were available to black workers. Public officials limited access to essential city services like water, sewage, and fire protection. And mm -hmm. businesses often barred black patrons altogether. So stupid. Um, yeah. So black people were often treated as objects of curiosity, as when in 1900, the Reno Gazette ran an article titled, I don't think I'm going to like this, quote, the Negro in hot weather, unquote. <laughs> how how uh, unusual. What happens? Wow. Oh, my God. A whole article? A whole article. Oh, my God. And this is in 1900. Y'all, slavery was 15 years, just 15 minutes earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Reno was fertile ground for clan organizers and a clavern spelled with a K, uh, which is a local branch of the Ku Klux Klan was established in 1923. In 1907, the McKissick Opera House played Under the Southern Skies, a play about a poor girl suspecting that there was Negro taint in her blood who sent taint wow. <laughs> who okay. sacrifices herself this is the the description of the play it's oh, not me oh, it's not okay. me <laughs> you mean you didn't get front row didn't. seats no okay. no this is this is from the playbill <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> a poor girl suspecting that there's negro taint in her blood who sacrifices mm. herself for her family's sake Oh, geez. Sake of what? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know what? If, if, uh, if she's part black, aren't they all part black? <laughs> right, right. That is another baffling thing to me about this white purity 
myth yeah. is that w- once we all can afford our ancestry tests, I think we'll all find out that we most of us have a yeah, little bit something. of something black or brown yeah. in us <laughs> yeah. because of colonialism and slavery and rape and, and rape. all those terrible yeah. things. Yeah. Yes. So in 1908, while serving as a race marshal at the Reno racetrack, a man named Tom Ramsey pistol whipped a black jockey who declined. He just declined to race. He's like, I'm not racing. And so he pistol whipped him. What? Wow. Um, And it's interesting about this time period, 1908. There were a lot of race riots in the United oh, States yeah. in this so decade. I was reading about the history and stuff, and there was just a lot going mm-hmm. on at this time. A lot of mm-hmm. uh, racial stuff going on at yeah, this time. Un- yeah, unrest. I mean, yes. Uh, uh, so the year, the same year, city officials burned Reno's Chinatown to the ground with no warning to residents after eliciting a health warning from the city health board during a period of anti-Chinese sentiment. So they just burned it down. More racism, yeah. and it and it's not the it's. I think people think if it's if it's not this, if I'm not burning the, their town down or I'm not killing anybody, then it's, it's not fine. that bad, yeah. right? But uh, this 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 is horrific. Um, this but is it, a racism. culmination of a bunch of little racist things, things you know, yeah, adding up, adding mm-hmm. up, and adding up, and until they made the city health board declare a health warning so they could burn the fucking place down. Wow. Yeah. Nuts. On July 4th, 1910, a fight was staged in Reno between black championship boxer Jack Johnson and a white challenger named Jim Jeffries, who they were calling the Great White Hope. That's what they call all all of all of them. Uh, that uh, yeah. Stu, yeah. Uh, Logan Paul, um, Larry Bird. All of them are the great white hope in right. the face of black people doing so excellent stupid. things. Stupid. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> So here's an interesting fact. Uh, Jack London, the noted American writer, uh, was a racist. (laughs) Get out of town. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He popularized the concept of the great white hope for this Jim Jeffries guy. Okay. He wrote that Jim Jeffries must, quote, remove that golden smile from Jack Johnson's face. Jeff, it's up to you. The white man must be rescued, unquote. This is Jack London. Rescued from what yeah. <laughs> what yeah. is the matter with Jesus you guys? Um, so Jack Johnson has been described as a guy who basically lived his life with a metaphorical middle finger raised in the air. I love this guy. I love that. <laughs> I love him and I love that. Not only did he become the first African-American world heavyweight boxing champion at the height of the Jim Crow era, he owned and operated several businesses, including a desegregated restaurant and nightclub. And he had a flamboyant and ostentatious lifestyle. And he was married three times. <gasps> To white women. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, wow. he really pissed the white people off. He yeah, really and, made and, them mad. <laughs> yeah. Called the fight of the century, there were somewhere around sixteen to 20,000 people in attendance. Whoa. A photograph of all the boxing champions attending the fight was taken. The reigning heavyweight champ, Jack Johnson, who won the fight and the title again that day, was excluded from the photograph. Wow. Yeah. Surprise. Yeah. Uh, Johnson's victory over Jeffries touched off a national race riot. Several days of hundreds of violent street clashes between white people and black people in cities all across the country. More than 20 people were killed and hundreds were assaulted or beaten. Most of the victims were black. So dumb. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And really tragic. Yeah. 
It's just, um, just the worst in humanity pointless. comes out. Yeah. yeah. In the 1940s, as jobs became available in the defense and mining industry, and with the legalization of gambling, Black families moved to Nevada by the thousands. However, the economic opportunities did not lead to equality. Even internationally renowned entertainers like Nat King Cole, Pearl Bailey, and Sammy Davis Jr. were not permitted to stay at the same hotels at which they performed. It's so wild to me. And it's what's more wild is that that fact will be news to any to mm-hmm. some people who might be listening to this, not yeah. realizing yeah. that was um, a fact. Even service to their country did not help black people. In 1946, instead of welcoming black veterans into a local chapter, the American Legion chartered a separate Reno post for African-Americans. In 1952, because Reno businesses refused to serve black soldiers stationed at Stead Air Force Base, the Army started a bus service between Stead and Sacramento to black soldiers to use for R&R. Even today, thousands of Reno area homes built from the 1920s into the early 60s still have racial covenants. Oh, my God. Yeah. Reno historian Alicia Barber said that the covenant language is illegal and unenforceable because of the 1968 Fair Housing Act. But in order to have the racist language disavowed, you have to fill out a form and you may have to pay a fee. Well, we can't have that. (laughs) Um, As of the 2021 census, Reno is 72 percent white. About three percent of population in Reno is black and seven percent is Asian and 24 percent is Latin. Next. So it's very, very white. It is very white. I was also going to say, I'm, I wonder about the indigenous um, population, but oh, it must yeah. have been when I was too looking small. at it. It didn't. It didn't list indigenous people. Sorry, okay. which is sad when you consider that it was once 100 percent indigenous. Yeah. Through terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events, on our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. 
I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. So now we're going to get into Daryl Lenny Mack's early life. What do you got, Beth? Daryl Lenny Mack was born on August 28th, 1958. We think in Reno, but we're not 100%. Um, mm. And I I couldn't find any solid information, but I think it was Reno. Okay. According to his brother, Paul, who was 11 years older than Daryl, the Mack family was very dysfunctional. Paul Mm. witnessed what he called a tremendous amount of violence between their parents, saying, quote, I visually watched my father beat my mother to a pulp on several occasions, unquote. Wow. Okay. Um, As that paints a picture, as a child, Daryl was passed around to friends and family members, being sent to live with his mother's friend when he was just four months old. Later, he was shipped off to live with his father. For a while, he lived with his sister and his nephew, Avery Dixon. Then he lived with his older brother, Paul. Daryl grew to be six foot three inches tall. As a young man, he started using drugs and getting into trouble with the law. In 1979, he was arrested on charges of robbery and battery, causing substantial bodily harm. In 1983, he was arrested on robbery, burglary, and attempted sexual assault on a person over the age of 65. So now we're going to get into the timeline. In the late 80s, it was the 80s, <laughs> Mac, Mac moved temporarily to California and lived with his nephew, Avery Dixon, in Los Angeles. Dixon was a cabinet maker, and Mac did some work for him. After a few months in California, Mac went back to Reno. In 1988, Mac was living in Reno, and he was on probation from a burglary conviction in California. On October 28, 1988, a woman named Betty Jane May was found dead in her basement room at a boarding house in Reno. Stephen Floyd, who lived in the house next door, found her. Floyd had been drinking at a nearby bar that night and was returning home to try to borrow some money. He knew Betty and saw that her light was on, so he went to her room to ask for money. He knocked on the door, which was slightly open, but there was no response. He then opened the door and saw Betty kneeling by her bed with her upper body face down on the bed. When he went to turn her over, he realized that she was dead. Floyd immediately went to find the managers of the boarding house, Jim and Kelly Bassett, and the police were called. Police found Betty slumped over her bed with bruises bruises on her arms and legs and bloodstains on her blouse. The autopsy showed that she had been beaten and manually strangled to death. She had also been brutally raped not long before her death. Fingernail scrapings and evidentiary swabs from the woman's vagina and left foot were collected. The swabs tested positive for semen. Described as a tiny, quiet woman who had a tender heart for cats, Betty Jane May loved reading mystery books to her kids and introducing them to music. She never learned to drive, so she rode her bike or walked whenever she had errands to run. After her children were grown, she and her military husband divorced, and she moved into the room at the boarding house in southwest Reno, where she lived alone. Betty was 55 and left behind a son, two daughters, and three grandchildren. Police had no leads on her murder, and the case went cold. In the early 1990s, a woman named Kim Parks, nicknamed Kino, 
was working in the sex trade in downtown Reno, and Mac was reportedly her pimp. By 1994, Mac had 20 adult arrests and 14 convictions behind him, six of mm. which were felonies, and he'd served four prison terms. Now, um, I don't know if you mentioned this in the script. Prostitution is legal in parts of Nevada. Yeah, um, but not street. Right. There are rules yeah. around it. Right. 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 Um, so in places like Pahrump, where there are several bunny ranches, um, you can just drive through and, and walk in. But um, there's tax rules. There's rules uh, um, based on the population size of the, the town and things like that. Yeah. Um, so there's su- it's super regulated, but it, it, it is legal in parts of Nevada. I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, I actually did not get into that in this script. So thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. Uh, thank you. No, thank you. Whatever's fine. Uh, <laughs> so in April of 1994, Kim moved from the hotel she was staying at to a Motel 6 in Reno. On April 7th, a maid opened the door to clean the room, saw Kim lying in the room naked, assumed she was asleep, and just closed the door. When the maid came back the next day to clean the room again, she saw Kim's body in the exact same position, and she knew that the woman had to be dead. Kim had been strangled to death with her bra wrapped around her neck. Her body had also suffered other traumas. Mac was arrested on April 27th. I'm not, not really sure exactly how they got to Mac, but mm. he, he was allegedly her pimp. So maybe they went and talked to him. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. And a, and a lot of these women who, uh, you know, the, the sex trade is the oldest one in the history of mankind. Yeah. And um, the women engaged in it um, look out for each other. Right. And so maybe they, um, the the women spoke up and said, you, "Could be, you know, yeah. you ought you ought to talk to Mac." Yep. Um, when questioned initially, Mac told police that he'd never been to the hotel. Confronted with evidence that blood found on one of the hotel sheets was his, he quickly changed his story. He then claimed that he'd helped Kim move, but he'd expected to get paid for it, and he became angry when she refused to give him any money. So he backhanded her, somehow cutting his hand in the process, then took the money and left. But according to the prosecutor, Mac had a different reason to be angry with Kim. She was the only witness against him in a pending criminal case in Lake Tahoe. And I couldn't find any inf- information about that case, but that's what the prosecutor said. Mm, interesting. So in September of 1994, Mac was tried for murder and robbery in the death of Kim Parks. DNA evidence matching his DNA to the blood found in the motel was presented, and Mac was found guilty. <laughs> Chief Deputy District Attorney David Stanton argued strongly for a life term, saying Mac was a hopeless criminal with 20 adult arrests and 14 convictions, six of which were felonies. At the sentencing hearing, Stanton said, quote, He is a cold-blooded, premeditated murderer, thief, pimp, and drug addict, unquote. Those are all those buzzwords. Yeah. Um, so um, whether they're true or not, I mean, if you say them. Uh, sounds I, I, bad. I mean, sounds bad. It sounds really, really bad. Yeah. Um. But Mac told the judge that Kim Parks had been his friend. Wait a minute, and he would never have hurt her except he for said, quote, backhanding ex- her. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh. Mac said, "Quote: This terrible atrocity has been committed by a necrophiliac killer, not by a thief or burglar like myself." Unquote. Okay. So he's giving okay. him some truths. Okay. But yeah, if I give him a little bit. They then, won't. Yeah, they they yeah. won't see what's over here. Look right. at this shiny thing. I'm a thief. I'm a burglar. <laughs> and then you won't see the big murder behind me. <laughs> Mac told the judge to go ahead and sentence him to death, saying, "Quote: No, I do not have a death wish. I love."
have my life. I will gladly put my life on the line to express my total innocence. Give me <laughs> justice or give me death, unquote, which wow. is a weird flex, but Who okay. does he think he is? <laughs> give me justice or give, give me, me death. death. <laughs> okay, bruh. Uh, <laughs> Washoe District Judge Mills Lane told Mac that capital punishment was not an option in this case, and the judge sentenced him to life without the possibility of parole. So now we're going to get into the investigation of the arrest because um, there's more. There's more. What do you got, yeah. Beth? As Mac sat in prison for Kim Park's murder, the murder of Betty Jane May was still unsolved. Then, in 1999, her case saw new light when Detective David Jenkins took over the investigation. Detective Jenkins was reviewing inactive cases when he discovered that there was biological evidence from the May case that had never been submitted for DNA testing. Such testing had not been developed at the time of her 1988 murder. DNA profiles created by the samples of blood and semen taken from Betty's clothes were submitted to a database. And suddenly, they had a hit. The samples matched profiles that had been created by blood samples submitted from Mac during the investigation into Kim Park's murder. Chief Deputy District Attorney Don Greco then ordered a new DNA sample from Mac to recheck the findings. The match was confirmed and Mac was indicted on a new murder charge. DA Greco commented, quote, this was an interesting case in that it was the first case where the only evidence was DNA evidence, unquote. On January 24th, 2001, Mac was indicted on the first degree murder of Betty Jane May. The state sought the death penalty, alleging two aggravated circumstances. Mac committed the murder while under sentence of imprisonment, meaning he was on parole, and he committed the murder while committing a sexual assault. Um, so now it's time for the trial. Hit it, Beth. Prior to trial, Mac advised the court that he wanted to waive his right to a jury trial and have a bench trial. A bench trial is a trial before a judge, not a jury. Some attorneys advise their clients to choose a bench trial for different reasons, but it all adds up to there being some advantage to doing so for the defendant. Yeah, I mean, you know, I wonder about, uh, I don't know, if I'm, I'm assuming he had a public defender. Um, I wonder how much effort goes into um, I'm getting I'm what I'm getting at is the the jury in Reno. We know how white Reno is. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that could, could have been a been lot a factor. worse. Yeah. yeah. And I've I was trying to figure out why he picked a bench trial and I couldn't figure it out. Um, mm -hmm. Not really sure why. But one of the advantages is that it's faster because you don't have to uh -huh. pick, a, pick jury. a jury and the judges usually don't take as long as juries to decide mm -hmm. um, some of the other reasons why you might pick a, a judge and not a jury is if your attorney knows the judge and and figures they'll be fair or yeah. um, if they um, they figure that the judge is not going to be as emotional as a jury mm. um, different oh. different reasons that's why I said right. I, I, I wasn't really sure why he yeah. he, he well, chose that. Lots, lots goes into this legal stuff. So yeah, I appreciate your take. <laughs> In any case, Mac did waive his right to a jury trial and chose to have a bench trial, stating that he understood a three-judge panel would determine his sentence if he were found guilty during the bench trial, and he signed a statement confirming his decision. During his trial, a criminalist for the Washoe County Sheriff testified that the semen taken from Betty's body and the blood stains on her blouse both matched Mac's DNA profile. The blood and tissue found under May's fingertips also was consistent with Mac's DNA. And on April 2nd, 2002, Daryl Linney Mac was convicted of the murder of Betty Jane May. 
But this time, the prosecutor sought the death penalty, and the three-judge panel was seated to decide his punishment. During Mac's penalty hearings in April 2002, after the prosecution and defense presented arguments for and against a death sentence, family members stepped forward to tell the judges about the people involved. Paul Larry Mack, Daryl Mack's 53-year-old brother, traveled from California to describe their dysfunctional early life. He also read a letter to the court from their 83-year-old mother, Viola Mack, who asked the judges for leniency. Betty Jane May's son, Charles, told the court, quote, there are many nights where my my sleep is disturbed with visions and dreams where my mom is still alive, and then I wake mm. and know that she is not. Mm. Birthdays, Mother's Day, holidays, all come and go. Events where mom was once a part. Now those events include candles burned in remembrance of her. Mr. Mack will never take away our memories or our love for her. All we want now is justice. Justice for our loss and justice for our mom. Unquote. Alana Coy, Betty's daughter, said, quote, This whole nightmare has turned our lives upside down, and none of us will ever be the same. Because of one thoughtless, despicable person, we have lost our mom. Whatever our mom was or was not to the people of Reno, Nevada, she was still our mother, and justice must be served. Unquote. Then Daryl Mack stood up and made a statement to the court. He said, quote, Betty May died a terrible death. No human being deserves such a fate. I would like to offer my condolences to her entire family. I hope the resolution of this case will help their hearts to heal. Although I did not sexually abuse Ms. Betty May, just like I didn't sexually abuse Ms. Kim Parks. I apologize to my own family. I cannot find the words to express the shame I feel. I know that I will die without ever being released from the Nevada Department of Prisons. Maybe Ms. Betty May's family can take some small consolation in that fact. Unquote. He then asked the three judges to give him the opportunity to continue his rehabilitation in prison. The panel did find some mitigating circumstances. Mac had suffered from anxiety and psychotic disorders since his incarceration in 1994, though there was no evidence that he had a mental disorder at the time of the murder. Mac had demonstrated a satisfactory adjustment to prison and had been cooperative with the personnel. He'd also been cooperative with court personnel. Though he made threatening remarks on at least one occasion, he had not committed any acts of violence during his incarceration. He provided assistance to other inmates for their adjustment and rehabilitation, and he demonstrated rehabilitation from drug abuse during his incarceration. He also expressed regret that Betty May was dead. But the panel found that all the mitigating circumstances did not outweigh the sexual assault aggravating circumstances alone, and the panel imposed a sentence of death. Mac continued to maintain his innocence in both murders. DNA don't lie. Uh, I know. And it's too bad that he didn't watch Jurassic Park in 1994 like <laughs> I did, because I would have known that DNA uh, sealed the deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so two months after Mac was sentenced by the three judge panel, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that juries, not judges, must decide capital cases. Suddenly, he had a timely argument against his death sentence. On appeal, Mac argued that the three judge sentence determination violated his right to a jury trial. Mack claimed that he wanted a bench trial only in regard to the guilt phase of his trial, not the penalty phase, but that the relevant Nevada statute did not give him the option of having a bench trial, but a jury sentencing hearing. Additionally, Mack argued that his death sentence was excessive. 
agree to disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But the state Supreme Court rejected the argument. When Mac waived his right to a jury trial, they said he also was consciously waiving his right to have a jury decide his sentence. His decision was his own, and he had no right to a new hearing. Mac began working with his attorney, Mark Picker, on the next phase of the appeals process, his post-conviction appeal to Washoe District Court. But then, suddenly, he decided to stop. Picker said he walked in one day, and Mac said he wished to withdraw his petition. Picker said, quote, I questioned him as to his reasoning and questioned whether he had considered it for a while and why. He said he did not want to go through the process any further. He said he didn't want to be on death row anymore, unquote. Mac's attorneys asked the court to have a psychiatric evaluation done on Mac to determine whether he was capable of making such a decision. Two out of three mental health experts, two Hmm. out of three. (laughs) Two out of three dentists, say. (laughs) Found him competent. During two hearings before Washoe District Judge Robert Perry, the prosecutor asked Mac a long list of questions to determine whether he truly wanted to drop his appeals. Mac said he knew what he was doing and he was ready to die. A December 1st, 2005 date was set. Mac refused to give any interviews while awaiting execution, but he'd said in court statements that he'd rather be executed than spend the rest of his life locked up on death row, even though he claimed he didn't murder Betty Jane May. Hmm. Maybe he's um, giving in to the facts. Yeah. yeah. To DNA. So now we're going to get into where are they now? Well, Daryl Linney Mack, 47, was the first Nevada convict to be executed based solely on DNA evidence, the 12th to be executed since Nevada reinstated capital punishment in 1977, and the first black inmate to die in more than 30 years um, by the death penalty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> more than three. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, I'm sure I, mean, I don't know died, if anybody's yeah. watching the news. Yeah. Uh, to die by um, the death penalty. (laughs) (laughs) Mac was scheduled to die on December 1st, 2005 by lethal injection, but his mother, Viola Mac, filed a petition with the Nevada Supreme Court asking for a delay because she claimed her son didn't get a fair competency hearing and his mental health needed to be fully evaluated. The court granted the stay of execution and ordered the Washoe County District Attorney's Office to respond, but the stay was lifted in February of 2006 when the high court dismissed the petition filed by Viola Mac. A new date was set for Wednesday, April 26, 2006. Then, after the Reno Gazette Journal, a newspaper, filed lawsuits in state and federal court requesting changes, for the first time, the entire execution procedure, from the documents detailing the drugs used to the viewing of the intravenous lines being inserted into the inmates' arms, were open to the public. Whoa! Wow, that's amazing! Yeah. Uh, whoa. I'm, I'm sorry. My mind is blown away. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. Um, so historically, witnesses were not allowed to watch the medical technicians insert the intravenous lines or attach the heart rate monitor to the inmate. The blinds were closed during that period and reopened after the EMTs and guards left the room. The corrections department now allowed the blinds to be opened. The corrections department also released a copy of its confidential execution manual, Procedures for Executing the Death Penalty. 
According to this protocol, during the weeks before the execution, prison officials arrange for a physician and a psychiatrist to be present, as well as a nurse, someone from the attorney general's office, and official witnesses, including media representatives. Fascinating. Um, and I think his attorneys can attend also. And in, in, no? And in, uh, Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah. So officials review a list of needed equipment and materials, including a cardiac monitor, intravenous flasks, syringes, surgical shears, and a blood spill kit. Under the heading drugs of choice, the protocol says, quote, lethal substances and amounts to be used in the execution are sodium thiopental, 5 grams, pavulin, 20 milligrams, potassium chloride, 160 milliequivalents. Doing drugs. Oh my God! <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of that's a lot of drugs. Uh, yeah. Wow. Oh my friend. The protocol states, "Quote: Personal differences exist. At times, dosages have to be increased for certain individuals. Although the above doses are lethal for most individuals, it will be the responsibility of the physician, working in conjunction with the staff pharmacist." to ensure that the above is sufficient to cause death, unquote. And still, I say, why not just inject him with a bunch of morphine or something? Yeah, I I just think that the whole death penalty is a mess. Yeah. We don't know how to do it right. We can't seem to get it right. So we should just stop doing it. Um, yeah. And for so many reasons, um, I just, yeah, I don't... Uh, don't get I it. I don't know. I don't yeah. get it. Um, after the witnesses, executioner, and officials are in place, the inmate is led in and placed in, quote, soft restraints. The contracted emergency medical services technicians are led in and the IVs and a heart rate monitor are attached to the inmate. The director gives the order to proceed to the warden and the warden gives the okay to the executioner, who then begins the flow of drugs. The attending physician will then determine whether these injections were sufficient to cause death. If they are determined by the physician not to be sufficient, the ejection procedure will be repeated into an alternate IV. You know, I what I know about executions, which isn't a ton, but they're always done really late at night or really early in the morning. Yeah, I, usually. I wonder wh- why is that? Is it because it, I wonder if it has to do with the shame that we have yeah, as a society for doing that. I don't know. That. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Just just a thought. Yeah. So on um, Wednesday, April 26, 2006, the date of Max execution, two dozen death penalty opponents gathered outside the prison to protest the execution. The protesters held a candlelight prayer vigil across the street from the prison, sang hymns and carried signs in protest. Mac, who'd converted to Islam while in prison, spent time reading the Koran in his final hours. His final meal was a fish fillet sandwich, french fries, and a soft drink. wonder Ooh. if they got that at McDonald's or something. McDonald's, that's what yeah. I was wondering. That yeah. fillet of fish really like hits. I do fillet of fish, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you see on Instagram the this girl went to Zaxby's, which is a like a chicken restaurant here okay. in the South? It's garbage. Anyway, uh, she posted a video. They deep fried a napkin inside what? her, inside oh my her God. sandwich. Oh, my God. It really is garbage. They give it out Jesus deep Christ. fried napkins now. <laughs> anyway, Jesus. sorry. Wow. <laughs> he didn't get that. No, no. He he got the, the filet of fish. 
Yeah. <laughs> he made no telephone calls. Mac's brother was at the prison, but Mac refused to see him. After seven news media witnesses and six official witnesses were led into the viewing room, Mac entered the death chamber with five guards. The nine foot by 12 foot room with a gurney in the center has three windows on one wall and two way mirrors at the head and foot of the bed. Two guards helped Mac onto the gurney, then laid him onto his back. Mac kept his head up as he silently watched the guards place the straps across his waist and legs and lock padded straps around his ankles and wrists. Several times he looked at the witnesses. At 8.54 p.m., four of the guards left while one opened Mac's shirt and attached cables to his chest to monitor his heart. Two EMTs wearing white short sleeve shirts and rubber gloves attached intravenous needles. Mac held his head above the pillow and watched as the technicians tied rubber bands around his biceps and inserted the needles. After taping the lines to Mac's skin, the technicians left the death chamber. State Corrections Director Glenn Wharton asked Mac for any last words. His final words were, quote, Allah is great, Allah is great, unquote. At 8.59, Wharton left the chamber and closed the door. Mac was alone. He dropped his head to the pillow and looked at the witnesses. Glancing at Chief Deputy District Attorney Dan Greco, Mac showed his teeth in a sort of a smile. Greco simply nodded at him. Mac then laid his head down and closed his eyes. At 9 p.m., he lifted his head again, looked at the witnesses, checked the IV lines in his arms, and put his head back down. At 9.01, he took several deep breaths. Then his chest stopped moving. By 9.02, his eyes and mouth were slightly open, but all chest and stomach movement had stopped. At 9.06, Dr. Bruce Bannister, the medical director for the prison, walked into the chamber and bent over Mac with a stethoscope. After a few minutes, he walked out of the room and closed the door. Mac was dead. May's children, Charles May, 48, of Reno, Denise Nottinelli, 44, of Los Angeles, and Alana Coy, 42, of Kentucky, all witnessed Mac's execution. Charles May said the family wanted to see justice carried out, and the execution was long overdue. Outside the prison, wearing a button with a photo of his mother, Charles May read a statement on behalf of himself and his sisters. He said, quote, Daryl Mack will never harm anyone ever again. It's been a long and very rough road for us all. Tonight that journey ends and closure begins. Justice has been served. A weight was lifted off our shoulders. Life starts over. We don't have to worry about Daryl Mack occupying our lives, controlling our lives, wondering when the next appeal is going to come. It is a mm. new beginning. Mom couldn't have asked for a better Mother's Day gift. Rest in peace, Mom. Unquote. Wow. Yeah. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, <laughs> but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> 
You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. Well, now we're going to get into our takeaways and what we think might have made Max snap. What do you got for us, Beth? Well, it's kind of hard to say. Uh, again, uh, here's another story where we don't know enough about the the guy's childhood and his youth. Right. We don't know anything about what he was like as a teenager. We don't really know much about what he was like as an adult. We just have mm-hmm. these little snippets. So yeah. um, it's hard to say, but he was passed around as a child. Um, mm-hmm. It was probably just what had to be done to get him yeah. taken care of for whatever right. reason. Yeah. To get him to survive, right? Yes. I mean, uh, I don't know if you were paying attention to the history, but life was really hard already back for then, yeah. black people back then in Reno. And um, I imagine that the, the abuse and the passing him around didn't make it any easier, no, but it was just kind of what not. needed to be done. Yeah, I think. But it did not make for an easy childhood. He probably didn't get a lot of love and nurturing as a child. He, you know, he might have stayed with one person who was really loving and nurturing, but then he was passed on to somebody else. And they may have been loving and nurturing, too. But when you're passed around like that, you don't you don't learn to trust anybody. You don't learn to count on anybody to be there. You know, you you just don't have any uh, footing. Really? Yeah, footing yeah. and safety. I think yes. one of the things that I, I, I've come to understand in my motherhood, I haven't been a mom for very long, but is that kids really need to feel safe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just how important that is to their survival. Right. And consistency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he also witnessed violence against women. You know, his, his dad beat his mom. So that mm-hmm. was modeled to him. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, we don't know why, but he was in and out of jail. uh, So there was probably some trauma related to that being in jail. Mm -hmm. Again, Mm -hmm. um, we don't really know enough about him to understand why he did everything that he did. But he was obviously a very angry person. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Um, He I think... I, I got that impression from um, hearing the story, but not at the end. No, not at um, the end. Yeah. Uh, you know, imagine if he had found religion way earlier. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I uh, in, in the early 2000s, a really interesting documentary came out about pimps. Um, and I remember it aired on BT. <laughs> it had it aired on uh, MTV, and I scoured the internet for it. I couldn't find a couldn't copy. Find of it. It. I think it's called oh, wow. American Pimp. Huh. But I mean, me and my friends were all talking. M- me and my black friends talking right. about just how intelligent pimps are mm-hmm. when they are. Um, I don't know what the word is, but when they're um, harvesting, yeah, or working. Um, they're working, grooming, grooming, yeah, yeah, and working, yeah, working these women, and the the way they talk about women and the way they treat them, it really is horrific. Yeah. Um, they treat them like dogs, but they really see them as objects that need to be trained controlled. and um, yeah. controlled. Um, and they do it in really th- these really fucked up mind games. Yeah. Um. So it was it, it was interesting to me like when he said um I didn't sexually abuse Kim Parks or I didn't I in his mind it wasn't he wasn't hurting them I think right. at the time right um which is which is was just an interesting thought to me after kind of a mind that fuck, documentary yeah. yeah a complete mind fuck um the violence growing up 
um, uh, I, th- I think might have uh, contributed to his um, the way he viewed women as these objects that needed to um, bow to him and and give him what he give him money that he wanted, give him sex or whatever. Um, also the give me justice or give me death congratulations (laughs) you played yourself back what the fuck are you talking about um also god bless dna Yeah, yeah um and i am always um i always wonder i i don't have an answer i don't know what the right thing is um but the need for justice and what that looks like to people and what satisfies you under the justice category for this, these families of the victims, Mac dying really seemed to feel like justice. Right. But at the same time, it doesn't bring their mom back. You know, what, what is, what is the price to pay? Um, how much do we, should we punish? Um, at, w- at what point do we say reform is not possible? You know, right. and all these, I had just have all these questions. Yeah. Um, about the violence, hurt people, hurt other people. And we talked about his childhood, what we, from what we know. Um, and the interesting thing, I, I heard somebody really, it's not funny, but I was listening to wrongful convictions the other day. And this guy who was wrongfully convicted talked about his history of drug abuse. And he was like, when you can't afford a vacation, you get high. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I thought, wow. I can totally relate to that. I, when you can't yeah. afford a vacation, you buy a Ninja Creamy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as human beings, we are doing we all we can something. to yeah. hold on to as much pleasure as possible um, while keeping pain at bay as much as we can. Right. Um, and so um, that's uh, that's all I'll say about that. Um, but this was an interesting case. I hadn't it heard about was. it before. Did, was yeah. it suggested by somebody? Uh, I don't remember. I, well, I didn't have that in the doc, so I guess not. Okay. It must I must have, have just but- uh, stumbled across it. But I knew you'd like the DNA, so. Oh, yes, my friend. Oh, my friend is so sweet. I picked sweet. it for you. Oh. <laughs> well, I liked this one. I did like um, doing uh, fi- doing research about it and just yeah. thinking about it. There's a lot of, there's a there's lot a to lot chew on. a lot to think about, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Um. So let us know what you think. You know where to find us. Now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So Beth and I scoured the internet but we have yes. no tips this week. So we invite <laughs> we invite you to share your fruities. Get at us. How do you stay out in these streets not getting murdered? Um, any tips that you have or any stories that you have um, oh, stories. to remind yeah, us, tell us some yeah, stories. what to do to be safer. Yeah. Um, shout out time. Hello. This is where we shout out any content by any minoritized or marginalized people by or about them or any true crime goodies. Um, I just have one new podcast that I've been hearing all the ads for, and it sounds really fascinating. I'm giving it a shout out. It is an iHeart podcast, so I imagine it's very well produced yep. um, and uh, that it will be satisfying. But if I'm wrong, um, 
just pretend like this didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> so it's called, it actually comes out by the time this airs, it comes out on August 1st. It's called Tongue Unbroken by an indigenous person whose name I can't pronounce. And I've heard them repeat it over and over again. And I can't pronounce it. Still can't pronounce it. <laughs> still can't pronounce it. It's, it's a podcast that explores the Native American revitalization and decolonization through the eyes and minds of multilingual indigenous person um, who is... Um, has several indigenous backgrounds. I cannot pronounce these either, so I don't want to. I don't want to butcher them. But listeners will learn about the complex concepts about identity, resilience, erasure, genocide of uh, indigenous peoples' languages. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it, and it covers the indigenous diaspora around the world. Not, wow, not that just sounds in awesome. the United States and Canada, but everywhere. So yeah, it sounds, sounds very great. cool. Subscribed. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you got? I wanted to shout out the savvy psychologists' quick and dirty tips for. Better mental health podcast or, oh. or savvy psychologist for short <laughs> oh okay i like yeah um, it's hosted by dr monica johnson who's a black woman hello and the <laughs> description for the show is meet life's challenges with evidence-based research a sympathetic ear and zero judgment savvy psychologist uses the best of psychology to help you be happier healthier and most importantly yourself. And I wanted to say that the episodes are pretty short, so they're very okay. easily digestible and uh, they're really enjoyable and helpful. So oh, give it, well, give it a I, listen. I love it. I love a good wellness tip yeah. from somebody who's been through those knows, knows what, I, what yeah i used to listen yeah. to the happier podcast by by gretchen what's her yeah. face you know what i'm talking about yeah, and I, was, yeah. I just got really frustrated like yeah. george floyd was just murdered and you're telling me if i clean yeah. my house i'm gonna be happier i know unsubscribe eat pray love like, yeah, get it was out like of here it, with this it, nonsense. Yeah, it's it's giving white women who haven't read the room privilege white yeah. women and, and not all white women. Hello, not Shout all white women. Hey, I'm white. Yeah, <laughs> that just happens to be white. But uh, I really appreciate this perspective um, from a learned psychologist. Yes, so thank you. Yes, Beth. you're welcome. I also wanted to say that Behind the Bastards is doing some episodes on Clarence. Oh Thomas. my God, <laughs> it's going to be four parts. Oh, I listened four to parts. it today okay. on the drive. Yeah, on the way. I oh listened my. To God. Yeah, I listened to the first part today. Um, by too. the time this comes out, probably the second episode will be out. But it was really mind fascinating. Blowing. My mind yeah. was blown. What yes. he said, white woman were the devil. Yeah, but not yeah. Jeannie Thomas. No, what? by the by that time, you know he he changed his mind. He changed it well for yeah. himself. For himself. Yes. Yeah. Right. It that is, was the point. It, it's like uh, he. It's okay for him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I can't wait to hear the rest. That yeah. is an excellent shout out. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, you're on fire today with the shout outs. <laughs> so, so that th these are all podcasts, wherever you yep. get your podcasts, Tongue Unbroken, uh, The Savvy Psychologist, Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Mental Health, and Behind the Bast Words, Behind the passwords. Bastards. Behind the Behind bachelors. The bachelors. Wow. 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 Okay. You know what? Go to sleep, Wendy. It, it, it's, it's behind the bastards. Oh my God. Behind the bastards about Clarence Thomas. Yeah. Um, and uh, those are wherever you get your podcasts. And boy, oh boy, this has been very Super fun. Very yeah. fun and interesting episode, Beth. Um, that's it for today. But where can the people find us in the meantime? Our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use 
Loose Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join our discussion group on Facebook at Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through Patreon. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. Merch alert! So, uh, <laughs> well, all the things Beth said are true. I've confirmed, fact-checked. Uh, and this is a weekly podcast, and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Or just a horrible accident. Ah! That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts.